Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. Through good times and bad, Trupanion is here for you. The Trupanion policy helps cover the cost of unexpected accidents and illness for your pets. The Trupanion team is still available, even in lockdown, 24-7, to help your pet. They also have a program dedicated to breeders, so you can send your litters home protected. Their breeder support program provides special offers that waive the waiting periods for your buyers. It's absolutely free for you to get started. Just sign up on the link at the website, puredogtalk.com. Don't forget, mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have our guest, Dr. Lori Cesario. Dr. Cesario works at the Canine Cancer Academy down in Southern California. Got a lot of concentration in oncology, and that's a pretty mm-hmm. major, major ability to bring us some very valuable information. So today, we are talking about nature or nurture. Mm-hmm. I really think that this is such a fascinating question and what we can know, what we can not know, and what we can maybe kind of hypothesize. And then there's, you know, Dr. Google. So Lots of Dr. Google, yes. Let's get it from the real expert here. So tell us how much we know and how much we don't know. How about that? Okay. I would say that we don't know more than we know, unfortunately. I always feel like I leave people wanting a lot more when I have clients asking me, you know, why their dog developed cancer. Hopefully that will change. A lot of smart people are working really hard to find more information. And we're going to talk about some of that. Exactly. Genetic and environmental and nutritional risk factors. But the big picture is typically no one thing is going to 100% cause cancer in any one dog or person. So we're looking for risk factors. So does your dog being a certain breed increase his risk for developing a certain type of cancer? Or does a certain environmental component increase his or her risk for developing a certain cancer? In people, we have some information about certain diets or components of diet, increasing certain types of cancers. You know, we're really lacking a lot of that information in veterinary medicine, of course. So we hope to have more of that information soon, but it's just really difficult. If you think about trying to pinpoint one specific thing in the environment or one chemical that might contribute to a specific type of cancer, and then you think about Everything that a dog is exposed to everything in your house, else right? when they're going on a walk, right. all the places that you've lived, everything that they eat. I mean, it's just so difficult to pinpoint one thing. So often, if you're really trying to get reliable information, these studies involve thousands of dogs and they're countrywide and they involve millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And we just don't always have those resources in veterinary medicine. 
Right. So that's the frustration. And that's one of the limitations, of course. Well, and I think that so many things, what I have encountered with other diseases, autoimmune diseases, for example, Mm -hmm. is that there's typically a genetic risk factor and then there are environmental triggers. Yes, that definitely happens. Is that something that you see in cancer as well? That has been shown for, you know, like transitional cell carcinoma, Mm -hmm. um, which Scottish terriers get. It's a bladder cancer. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we do know. When you were talking about some of the smart people that are involved in this, I think that you brought to the table a really, really great example of that. And this is the Morris Animal Foundation doing a lifetime study for golden retrievers. And listeners, if you're a member of the Golden Retriever Club of America, I expect you probably know about this. Probably. Mm -hmm. But there may be listeners who have not heard this information. So please fill us in on this because this really is a fascinating, fascinating study they're doing. Yeah, this is really exciting for oncologists, for golden retriever owners, and should be exciting for all pet owners. So basically, the Morris Animal Foundation is running this study. They have been for a few years, and they have 3,044 golden retrievers participating. And the goal is really to follow these thousands of golden retrievers over their entire lifetime and get really an exhaustive amount of information from what is going on in their environment, with their diet, with their genetics, to really determine what nutritional, genetic, and environmental factors contribute to cancer and other diseases. So information that we just don't have. So not only are they doing routine physical exams, not only are they collecting blood and hair and toenail samples on a regular basis, but they're asking the family questions like, does your dog live with a smoker? Do you have carpet or hardwood floors? What does your dog eat? Does it eat vegetables? What type of vegetables? Okay. Bell peppers. What color bell peppers? How many bell peppers? Does your dog swim in the pool, in a pond, at the beach, in the ocean? So they're getting as much information as possible. And then they're banking all of this data and other researchers can use the data, but then over time, they're finding out which of these dogs develop certain diseases, which don't. And of course, we don't really want to wait 13 to 15 years to find out which of these dogs are going to die of cancer and which aren't. We know that up to 65% of Goldens will die of cancer, unfortunately. So they very astutely decided to run this parallel study. It was just opened, I believe, mid-July called the Golden Oldies Study. And they're currently recruiting dogs. So if you do have a purebred, the Golden Oldies is just now. Listeners, we're breaking news here on the podcast. Exciting. (laughs) Very exciting. So basically, they're looking for Golden Retrievers, purebred, ideally AKC registered, that are 12 years old or older that don't have cancer currently, that have never had cancer, you can register on the website. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yep. And I believe all you need to do if your dog is approved is allow your vet to collect a blood sample, submit it with a test kit, and then they'll basically do a DNA analysis and collect all of that data. And from there, try and figure out why are some dogs getting cancer and others just never do. So that's pretty exciting. 
It's very exciting. And listeners, I know I have a lot of people out here in Golden Retriever land. Get on it. Let's get this really, let's yeah. pump this up because I think this is fascinating. Exactly. And with so much information to share for every breed, this isn't going to just apply to Golden Retrievers. <laughs> right. It's only the start of everything. Mm-hmm. And if your dog isn't eligible, if you have a friend or a family member that you think might be interested, just fill out the form online and they'll be more than happy to contact you, I'm sure. Excellent. I am just very excited about that. And I know that my listeners will all be checking that out. So excellent. So we're trying to learn more, both in terms of the DNA and the environmental piece. What pieces of this do we actually know at this point or think we know? Science being science. (laughs) Yes. So we're always trying to get more information. Obviously, just as in human medicine, sometimes you get one result and then another paper comes out and maybe you realize, oh, you know, that first paper wasn't as convincing as we thought. So you're just trying to build on the evidence that you have. The information that we know is that for Bernese Mountain Dogs, that is a breed that commonly gets a type of cancer called histiocytic sarcoma. 25% of them will get histiocytic sarcoma, which is a very large number. And that is genetically linked. So we know that multiple genes control the inheritance for that type of cancer. And so they've isolated those. Are they able to then test for them before you breed your dog? That I'm honestly not sure about. Going to have to find out. My Embark people are getting a phone call. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The other big one is that Scottish Terriers are about 16 times more likely to develop transitional cell carcinoma, which is a bladder cancer. We know that it's even more of a risk if they're exposed to these phenoxy herbicides. So if you've ever heard of 2,4-D, which is a common herbicide that people use on their lawns, it's still available. I think it's in Roundup, things like that. But Scottish Terriers that are exposed to 2,4-D herbicides, that increases the risk of them developing this bladder cancer even more than four times over normal. And if it's combined with herbicides and insecticides, that increases their risk more than seven times. Wow. So that's a very specific bit of research that somebody's done. Yeah, just for Scottish Terriers. Wow. Exactly. What's even more interesting, I think, is that two things. Dogs in that study that were fed vegetables roughly three times a week, a lot of the vegetables were carrots, but we don't know if there's a right or a wrong vegetables, had about a 30% reduction in the risk of getting transitional cell carcinoma. So that's interesting. Very interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that with the herbicides, even for the dogs whose owners did not treat their lawn, there was this kind of drift scenario so that if your neighbor used the herbicide, it could still get into your dog's bladder and urine. Or if you take your dog for a walk and it goes in the park or it goes on the neighbor's lawn or whatever. Yeah, exactly. They're still being exposed to that. So about 50% of the dogs whose families did not use the herbicide still had evidence in their urine just from being exposed to other people's lawns. So that's gross. (laughs) My lawn is brown. It's okay. I'm down with that. Okay. Good. I mean, we right. know you care. Look at my brown lawn. <laughs> this is how you know I care about my dog. Exactly. It's true. Exactly. Hang tight, guys. 
got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Okay, so those are two really, really good studies along with the Golden Retriever study. Mm -hmm. Any other ones that you know about? A few others. So obesity is a risk factor for dogs getting mammary cancer, more aggressive mammary cancer, and also does increase the risk of transitional cell carcinoma for even other breeds of dogs. Dogs that have a long nose, like think German Shepherd and Mm -hmm. Irish Setter, and we call those dolecephalic breeds, they're actually twice as likely to develop nasal cancer if they live with a smoker, just because all of that, when they inhale the smoke, just environmental smoke, you know, it just kind of tracks all the way through their, their nasal passages and does increase the risk. Less of a concern for a little Frenchie or something like that, but the risk is still increased for those breeds. Well, I mean, certainly the cancer risk to smoking in humans is proven. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And even though I know this is a dog podcast. It is a dog podcast. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'll mention a tiny cat tidbit. It's okay. okay. Totally. People have cats. Okay. So just in regards to the smoking thing, most people won't think about this, but the smoke in the air accumulates on cat's fur and they clean that off with their tongue and cats that live with a smoker are more likely to get squamous cell carcinoma in their mouth. So that's something that most people don't think about and why would you? Fascinating, But just an interesting thing. Fascinating. Okay. So what else do we know? So certain breeds of dogs, like, you know, your Italian greyhound, things like that, very thin hair or light colored coats Mm -hmm. that really like to sunbathe, Mm -hmm. you know, and lay on their back and just lay out there for hours. We often see things like solar induced hemangiosarcoma, Mm. the skin or squamous cell carcinoma. We see that a lot in like pit bulls and things like that too. So 
If your dog is a sunbather and has a light coat, things like that. Sunscreen. Oh, yeah. Sunscreen is great. Uh-huh. Or even like a t-shirt if they'll keep it on. I like it. Some dogs will tolerate t-shirts. If a dog lives in like an urban environment or is exposed to like industrial solvents, things like that, there's some thought that those dogs might be at increase for getting lymphoma. Hard to say for sure, but it's just something that's out there. This is one that's really interesting to me, mm-hmm. actually, side note, and kind of add into your super smart cancer person brain, hunting dogs. Mm. Hunting dogs who go out and run through the cornfields and the wheat fields and the bean fields and whatever that have been treated with every kind of pesticide you can name totally are very commonly going down with lymphoma. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. It's something that's anecdotal. I mean, there's no... Totally. Yeah, of course. But this is my personal anecdotal observation that these dogs that are actively out hunting on cropland, not on CRP or public lands, that that is noticeable. Yeah. That's a rural area, so you wouldn't necessarily associate the potential carcinogen exposure with a dog running through fields or in farm environment, but yeah. Trust me, they put all kinds of stuff on that field. <laughs> totally understand that. I guess another one is just exposure to estrogen. You know, we know that in dogs that are spayed before their first heat cycle, they're unlikely to get something like a mammary tumor, but just like in people, because we're exposed to those hormones throughout our life, you know, your risk for getting a mammary tumor just increases over time. There's an interesting correlation. I've had a conversation with Dr. Marty Greer about this in early spay-neuter versus waiting on your spay-neuter, that it has impacts on different cancers in different ways. Yeah, I know. That's just such a difficult thing. It's so hard to make a specific recommendation just because there are so many factors and it's different for different breeds and new information is coming out. And I don't know that there's necessarily a consensus. Oh, interesting. For large breed dogs, there's a recommendation to wait a little bit just because if you fix them too soon, you worry that they might get cruciate ligament ruptures. So you want to wait a little bit for those. There was one study in Rottweilers and if you didn't spay or neuter them, they're at higher risk for developing osteosarcoma and even up to 25% of those dogs did. But yeah, I just feel like it's such a hard situation. And I think the recommendation has to be made on a case-by-case basis. Interesting. Especially since we're still gathering all this information. So maybe with the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, you know, we're looking at 3,000 dogs. So something like that might be helpful. I think that's going to be super helpful. We hope so. Talk a little bit, I mean, this is a recurring theme that pops up. Oh, my mixed breed dog is healthier than your purebred dog. So talk to us a little bit about that as it relates to cancer. Yeah. You know, we always feel like a mixed breed dog might have some like hybrid vigor. However, we have to sort of think about what mixes or what breeds make up that mix. So very commonly, if we know what breeds are in the mix, if they're two breeds that commonly get cancer in and of themselves, well, then that dog's going to be at risk for getting whatever cancer those breeds get. If it were a golden retriever and some other breed, then we'd have to be on the lookout. And it's certainly not 
to scare people or to make them fearful or paranoid or anything like that. It's just raise awareness, raise awareness, because we know how helpful early detection is. So if you just kind of keep that in the back of your mind and know what a certain breed is predisposed to, mm-hmm. you know, then you might be more aware. And if you see a change, you might be more likely to act on it as opposed to wait. So we're kind of bouncing around between environment and genetic, but going back to environment, so commonly referenced things that people think, so myth busting a little bit here, right? So vaccines, food, what do we know about any of those impacts on cancer diagnoses? So if you search PubMed, which is basically where all of the published veterinary and human literature is around the world. You're not really going to find anything in the veterinary literature for a link between nutrition and cancer. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that we don't have any of that information, Mm -hmm. which is why something like the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study will hopefully be valuable. As far as vaccines go, again, zero link between vaccines and cancer in dogs. We know that in cats, there's this thing called an injection site sarcoma. And if cats get an injection, whether it's a vaccine or something else, then that can cause a pretty nasty type of sarcoma in the skin. So those we hate to see. But we don't see those in dogs. No, we don't. Interesting. Okay. So those are things that if people are wanting more information on, they should figure out a way to make a study about it, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know. I think the other big one that I just got emailed about the other week, somebody was like, why isn't such and such in your blog article? And they were asking about Apoquil. Oh, yeah. Apoquil is being researched in conjunction with certain chemotherapy agents as a cancer treatment. It doesn't cause cancer. Okay. You know, so that's something that is important to know too. Okay, so I think that it's really important that our Golden Retriever people follow up with the Golden Oldies. And I don't remember, I know I've seen information about this. Do we have any sense of the lifetime study? How long ago did that start and how long are we going to have to wait for those results? Yeah, it took them about three years to recruit 3,000 dogs. And I believe they're a few years in. So some of the dogs, I believe, if I'm not wrong, the older dogs in the study are approaching six and seven years, maybe eight. A few years out on that. But yeah, yeah. we're still going to have a ways to go. But hopefully with this Golden Oldies study, that will speed up some of the information. They are performing some smaller studies. So researchers who are interested in using all this information that they've collected so far are using that data to run some studies. So there are some smaller studies that they're working on that are available on the website. And I forgot to ask you, AKC Canine Health Foundation does a ton of work in this area. Have you had any involvement with any of the studies they're working on? I thought they had one on hemangio, but maybe it was lymphoma. I'm not familiar, or I could be familiar with it under a different name. Probably under a different name. AKC Canine Health Foundation is the funder. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that's why I might just not know. Yeah. You'll know the studies. I just don't know the name of the studies. I only know the name of the funder. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) But those are areas that are very, very interesting that we pay a lot of attention to in purebred dogs, trying to 
look at the impact that purebred dog owners and breeders are making within the research community through their donations to this particular organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, very huge. And I think that that's something that we can all, I mean, we were kind of joking about it, but I think one of the things that we can all do if we want to see change happen, we need to support with our time, with our money, with our dogs, oh, exactly. the work that's being done. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess what I learned from the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study people is that most of their funding did come from donations. And that study is going to cost about $35 million to run over a decade. So I know a lot of people are frustrated that we don't have information. There's an easy way to help with that. You know, whether you donate $5 or $10, you know, it doesn't matter. Every little bit helps. Right. And I think that that is important. And I have done a number of interviews with the former director of the Canaan Health Foundation, specifically on this topic. You know, this is what we're working on. This is what your dollars are going toward. And I just think it's a really, really valuable thing that the purebred dog community is giving to all of dogdom. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Pretty cool. All right. Well, Lori, I sure appreciate your time. I enjoy talking to you. I learn all kinds of cool stuff. (laughs) Very happy to be here as usual. Fabulous. All right. We will talk again soon and folks will make sure we have some follow-up information for you in the show notes. And OPS, you should probably check out Dr. Lori's (laughs) own podcast. That would be amazing. You thought she just had a beautiful radio voice because she had a beautiful (laughs) radio voice, but no, she has her own podcast and there will be a link to that in ours as well. I appreciate that. So I think that do well by doing good. How's that? Sounds good. (laughs) We can all learn from each other. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.